Hello and welcome again to the podcast. My name is Chris Fleming. I'm the Adult Ministries Coordinator for the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and it's good to have you uh, joining us today. I'm joined with our usual suspects, Reverend Rebecca Zardi and Pastor Logan Dixon, and today we are going to be going over Luke 19, and it's going to be the triumphal entry. To, so this lesson will be on Palm Sunday, and so um, we're getting real close to Easter, and we're getting close to the celebration um, that the church does annually. And, and I'm praying that your churches are filled as much as possible or your Facebook feeds are populated as much as possible for the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But before we get there, we got to go through the cross. So we will do that. Uh, about um, way of promotion, I want to highlight the Cumberland Road. One of the future writers of the encounter was on there a couple weeks ago, uh, Reverend Jennifer Newell. So if you get a chance to check that out, do so. And then coming up soon is Mary Catherine Kirkpatrick, who is the pastor at the, I think we said the Jeffersonville Church in Texas. Jefferson and Jefferson, Texas. Jefferson, Jefferson, Texas. So I don't know Reverend Kirkpatrick, so I will be able to check that out and I'll get to know her and her ministry and her part of the Cumberland Presbyterian world. So looking forward to that. And then I'm going to pass it on to my co-host, Logan, if you'll want to go tell people the who's, what's, and where's about you. Yeah, um, I pastor the Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church uh, in Russellville, Arkansas. Look us up on Facebook, uh, like us, follow us, do all those social media things. Also, I host two podcasts other than this one. I'm like, my wife called me a podcast freak the other day. Um, I, I host the Monday Morning Megaphone. Uh, which I just recorded an episode with my wife. So she's one to talk. Um, and then I uh, also co-host the Culty Crimes and Criminal Minds podcast, where me and another pastor talk about uh, crimes and cults and things of that nature from a Christian perspective. We just covered the Heaven's Gate cult. So go and check that out. Uh, it was fun. Little... I listened to a couple of them. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, and like every other day, my co-host Nate will send me a screenshot of our analytics and be like, "Hey, we're growing, brute. We're growing, dude. We're growing, bro." Like, yeah, that's cool. awesome. So uh, the links to those are in the description and the re- on the resource page. Go and check those out. Like, subscribe, share, and uh, let's keep the conversation going. Gotcha, Reverend Becky. I am the pastor in Western Kentucky of two different churches, Madisonville First Cumberland Presbyterian and Rose Creek Cumberland Presbyterian located in Nebo, Kentucky. Um, I also do a bi-weekly devotional on YouTube called Welcome to My Porch. Um, And my latest episode just came out. I'm so excited about that. So find me on YouTube at Rebecca Zardi, Z-A-H-R-T-E. I know everybody gets that spelling wrong and that's okay. It's Z-A-H-R-T-E. And like, subscribe, and share there for uh, a little bit of encouragement a couple times a week. Awesome. And so I've never been to the church in Arkansas where Logan's at, but I can say that if you ever want to find Becky's church in Madisonville, just find the Cracker Barrel. It's an important <laughs> landmark, and you'll be able to get there. So. Right across the street. Right across the street. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so jealous. You got a Cracker Barrel <laughs> across the street from your church. You know, you know what I have across the street from, from my church? Cows. Okay. Nice. I was about to say fresh uh, beef. You know, fresh I beef. Mean. That's right. So you can't beat that. But but one thing that that Becky's church beats every Sunday at Cracker Barrel is the Baptist because they're so close. Mm-hmm. Way to go. 
Yeah. We also yep. beat the Baptist to crack the road because our service is so early. Right. Right now. <laughs> a lot of early services. Okay. So we're going to get on to Luke 19 and uh, our prayer for illumination. King Jesus, let, it, let us see you as you truly are. Let us praise you for your righteousness and justice and for your love and mercy. Through your word today, open our eyes and hearts that we may not miss your glory. Amen. Like that prayer. And so the scripture selection Amen. is going to be Luke 19, 29 through 44, with our memory verse being Luke 19, 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. All right. So, again, we, we're talking about the triumphal entry. So, Becky, I'm going to let you uh, walk us through your introduction. Uh, I, appreciated, I appreciated your lesson today. Good job. Thank you. Um, well, we're going to start with a little pop culture. Um, without revealing my age, I will just say that um, Aladdin was one of my favorite films. I loved all the Disney imagery and the craziness that was Robin Williams as the genie. It is still one of his most iconic roles that he ever had. Um, just this over-the-top Disney-fied completely a story and this song gets stuck in my head all the time because it's just so fantastical. It has all these amazing elements of our character Aladdin who was turned into Prince Ali, came, comes into Agrabah with just this uh, amazing, fantastical, genie-only inspired element um, where you have just this crazy scene of peacocks and people singing and all these bakers bringing bread and dancing girls. And I mean, just, just everything. It was obnoxious. It was truly obnoxious. But it was a great introduction to Prince Ali. And I thought, what a great way, because we forget on the triumphal entry just how chaotic and how loud and the cacophony that was going on at the time of people shouting their hosannas and welcoming Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. Um, and we're going to get into just how many people were in Jerusalem, but the same element even though Prince Ali came in very ostentatious, Jesus comes in very humbly, but still with this huge throng and this and this loud element happening that, that welcomed him to Jerusalem. And so it was a great way to just get ourselves in that mindset for that triumphal entry of just what this crowd would have looked like and the noise that would have been happening, all the yelling and all the hosannas ringing through um, as to how, how amazing what Jesus was doing riding on the back of a donkey coming into Jerusalem. Yeah. And it's a good contrast. Like, and it's a, the reason why that's a really good introduction is because it is a purposeful contrast in the sense of, if you read the other scriptures or the synoptic gospels or whatever else, Jesus was making a point and not and him not having that fanfare. Like he did not want to be known because of that, but it took on a life mm -hmm. of its own. And in, in the other gospels, you know, I think it's John that says what it, the city was in turmoil is the way I think John, depending mm -hmm. on your yeah. translation. Yeah. So, I mean, something was happening and shaking and, and we don't get that sometimes because we just read through it. We just mm -hmm. read through right. these things and we don't imagine and use our imagination. So 
I'm glad yeah. that you brought that out. I mean, how many times do we just bring our, our little palm branches in and we're like, yeah, I was <laughs> you know, and that's, that's all we do because we think it kind of silly, but it was, it was a huge moment in Jerusalem. It was this amazing thing that was happening. Um, and we just kind of gloss over that because we read through it so quick. Um, here's an exercise that you can do or just a, something you can do on Google. Um, I, I've kind of made it a habit every year that I, I look at pictures and videos of Holy Week celebrations throughout the world and whatever you have maybe against Catholics or disagree with Catholic countries know how to celebrate religious holidays. And so like yes. in, in the Philippines and in, in some places in, in, uh, um, I don't know if it's, I don't know where in South America, but they have whole cities and towns will have these palm parades, right? To where they just walk throughout the streets with their palms and they're singing and they're, and it's just vibrant. And, and I wish we had an element of that. We tried it once at, at Margaret Hank a couple of years back. We started at the little city park and walked to the church. We kind of like all met there. And then we walked to the church with our palm branches around the city. It was kind of fun. Um, That's and I'm sure- cool. Yeah, it was fun. I'm not sure if you know the old hymn, uh, Palms of Victory. But, Palms of Glory. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So every, at the first church I pastored, every year they would sing that on Palm Sunday, which I have no problem with, but they would sing it like they were dead. So that's, that's the thing. We just get, we get, we get tamed. And so I'm glad you brought this out. And the, yeah. the scene today Me was too. anything, it was so totally different from tamed, I guess is the biggest. Yes. Point. Completely different. I will say a couple of years ago for Palm Sunday, instead of doing the traditional palm branches, I did the little tutors, you know, ones, and that, that completely changed the atmosphere because yeah. that, that gave us a, some contemporary elements of excitement and fervor that, that was present here that we missed when we read that. Um, so maybe instead of palm branches or in, in addition to palm branches, bring in some of those little tutors, let your kids have them, see how fun that is yeah, make noise. during your entry to service. <laughs> yeah, I, I really wish we could really get excited about, about Jesus. And of course, we're going to get into this later in the discussion question, but I really wish we could get excited the way they got excited over Jesus coming into the city. Yeah. We, we go into church every Sunday and we sing a lot of the same hymns that we sing all the time. And we just, and it's just like, we're trudging through it. We're trudging through the motions mm-hmm. and we're, we're there, but we're not really there. And man, I love my church, but you couldn't get them to shout if you lit their pants on fire. Hey, I'm, I'm part of the frozen chosen. I get what they're, I get their, their <laughs> concerns. Like, but, I, but there is a difference in attitudes. Like, yeah, uh, like you can be reverent and excited, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, what was I? I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, no, I know what I was going to say. So if you're taking Lent, like, like we do like Lent light. So like uh, sometimes we give up cell phone usage or, or whatever else. But but really way back when Lent mm-hmm. was a little bit more discipline oriented you would fast and you would do things but Sundays you wouldn't because Sundays were little resurrection days and so mm-hmm. for seven or six days you would you would really be heavily focused and repenting and and doing these disciplines but then Sunday was was a resurrection day and so you would have six or seven Sundays in Lent 
that you could practice this, this contrast between the, the hardness or the, the repentance or whatever, but then the glory that Christ is here among us still. So anyway, that's one mm. reason I think we should continue to celebrate Lent and, and anyway, but absolutely. Um, absolutely. Good introduction. I'll go ahead and let you start. Uh, help us out with the exploring the scripture part. In exploring scripture, I, I really wanted to paint the scene for what was happening. And we don't really understand what was happening if we don't understand the history, the things that were present in the scripture that we often overlook. Like, why is it that two guys could just walk into town and say, hey, the Lord needs your donkey and walk off with it. You know, this has been a conversation that I've had with a lot of people. Like, how could you, how would anybody just let somebody take one of their very precious and valuable commodities like a donkey and just walk off with it? Well, it, culturally, there is something called impressment. Um, and that is where um, meaning that it was pressed in, and we kind of look at it more of, of a military style. But if a king came to your community and was in need of something, they could say, the Lord needs this. And by law, you were required to let your Lord take that and use it for their service. Um, and this is really kind of thinking again, that this is the public declaration of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, declaring that he was the Messiah, that he was the King. So by impressment, they let him just leave with the donkey. Let, they let his disciples just walk off because they said the Lord needed it. And so therefore they just had to let it go, you know, and hopefully it'll be returned later, you know, but that's, that's one of them that we don't understand. Um, the other was how many people were in Jerusalem at this time, you know, we're looking at Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. Jerusalem is normally 20 to 30,000 people. And at this time with everybody coming in to celebrate Passover you know, we're looking at an additional 150,000 people that would have been crowding into Jerusalem. So that would have made us close to 200,000-ish okay. people that would have been there. So, I mean, this is a huge, huge crowd. It wasn't just like his 12 disciples and that was it. I mean, we're talking a large crowd all around the city. And so those are a couple of things that we really need to understand to really think about this triumphal entry and what was happening with Jesus as, as to how many people were there and celebrating what, what he was doing at that time. Yeah. And, and you can imagine like, even like when we have, when Paducah, you know, when we host the, uh, the quilt week, we have oh, a yeah. about 30,000 people, all of a sudden 60,000 more show up and like, you got people going down the wrong one way and you can't get to the places that you want to go to. And it's like a week of just like, what is going on? Quilt week. Yes. That's like twice our population. So imagine again, think about this where you have five, yes. six times your population that's coming out into your town. Like it's, nothing's the same, right? It's so. huge. You know, I lived in this little tiny town called Warrens, Wisconsin, or lived right outside of it. And normally during the year, Warrens is like around 400 people, somewhere around there. They have a, what they call Cranberry Festival in September. Um, that area of Wisconsin is known for growing cranberries. So thank you, Ocean Spray and, and Northland Cranberry Company. If you, if you love that, that's where that comes from is that area. 
And our little town of 400 has Crane Fest or Cranberry Festival. And they have all of these craft booths and stuff that are set up and anywhere from 80 to 100,000 people crowd into Warrens, Wisconsin, a town of 400 over the course of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I mean, it's amazing. And when people come back to Warrens, like outside of Cranfest, they're like, I had no idea the town was this small because all I've ever seen is the city limits expand with all these booths and extra parking, you know, and, and you can't get downtown Warrens at that time. You have to like park outside of Warrens and walk in. It's, it's nuts. And I was thinking about that too, of just how, how crazy that is. So if people came only to Jerusalem during Passover, that if they came later, they probably wouldn't recognize where the, where the town limits are, you know, because it would have been expanded so much from all the extra people that would have been there. Kind of crazy. Nuts. Well, Big crowds. The uh, discussion question is, um, it says cultures and subcultures often have celebrations, rituals that are meaningful to them, but it may appear silly, pointless, or even wrong to outsiders. I'm just wondering, what, what have you got in Arkansas? Because I know there's got to be one. Uh, what's something that uh, Arcanians... Is that the term? I don't. Arkansans? Arkansans. Arkansans. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't know. I'm trying to really trying to think of one. Um, We've I got I mean, Potato Day not, down here, too. Potato Day. Oh, uh, well, if you're talking about festivals and stuff, we have, we have, uh, what what's it called? Uh, I can't think of what it's called. But it's like a toad festival or something like that, but it's called something funny in Conway. I think it's called Toadlick Festival or something. Toadlick, that's good. Something yeah. like that. I think Katie's um, Katie's has a ham festival, right? Ham festival. Yeah. Uh, Princeton we has also Black have, Patch. We also have Pickle Fest. Pickle Fest. Now that would be a good one to go to. Oh, okay. hey, no, I can do that. So I have to give you a history lesson. Uh, there is a small town um, in our county that is roughly about 1,200 people. Um, it's Atkins, Arkansas, very small town. And they had a pickle factory um, that opened up in the 50s. And it provided a lot of jobs to a lot of people. And it was in business for years up until the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but they, because it brought such an economic boom to our county, they started doing this pickle festival every year. You could get deep fried pickles, oh, uh, pickle pop, pickle popsicles, nice. you know, all these different kinds of pickle snacks. Um, and then of course they had craft booths and games and stuff like that. Uh, but it just became this whole thing. And even to this day, after the pickle factories closed, they still have pickle fest. That's fun. Right. Um, so yeah. And, and everyone who lives in this County, if they're over the age of 35, they have spent time working at the pickle factory for one reason or another. Everyone so, in my family has worked yeah. at the pickle factory. And so cool. I don't want to pass this up without saying, so like the Passover, like the reason why we have these festivals, they're funny to other people. But like you said, Nathan, or Nathan, sorry, like you said, Logan, these, the reason why these festivals are about is because it's part of your heritage. It's one thing that yeah. keeps your, your people together. And it's a celebration of the good things that, that have happened. And, and this is what Passover was like. It was, you know, back then it celebrates the you know the fly down of egypt but at the same time it is what has kept the jewish 
ethnicity or race or whatever together, even when they didn't have a temple and they were spread mm-hmm. out all over the world. And so this isn't just a normal, just a normal feast. Like we might look at it and be that silly. Like somebody might say that, you know, the pickle uh, festival is mm-hmm. silly, but it means something because like you said, yeah. every single person in your, in your community had been affected by it. And so you celebrate those things, which bring you together and that give you relief and that give you comfort and these kinds of things. And so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like today, today, the building is uh, a peanut butter jar factory and peanut butter festival would be better, I think, but it's not not the actual peanut butter. It's just the jars. And I not fun. I worked there for a brief period of time. And when you walk into the building, like it hadn't been a pickle factory in years and they've washed it, they've sanitized it, they've done everything they can to it. But you still to this day walk in the building and it smells like pickles. Yeah, it's going to it's going to do forever until until the Lord takes it home. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Gotcha. Awesome. So that's good, though. I mean, like so what we're trying to set up here is that the day was full of energy and it's important and everybody's attention is toward it. Uh, yeah. And so anything yeah. else you, and you would have had, that? yeah, you would have had families that hadn't seen each other over the course of the year. I mean, this was the big, the, one of the big three, but this was like one of the big Jewish holidays, you know, so you would have had just all this conversation happening and cousins that haven't seen each other in a while and just huge, huge, it's like one huge family reunion, just all, all of this happening all the time. So it's been very exciting, very exciting, even though um, a somber element, you know, um, understanding of the, the sacrifice of the Passover lamb and the flight out of Egypt, but just very, very exciting at this point. Gotcha. So then we're going to move on to the digging deeper section. And again, John is not John nor God nor Jesus were, you know, being flippant about his proclamation as being the king or the coming Messiah because they are connecting the Passover lamb with the with the Messiah, yes. with the Lamb of God. And so that's where we get then um we get toward there. But Becky, go ahead and lead us there in that digging deeper. Yeah. Section. So some things we need to think about is the donkey. Like, where did that come from? Again, you know, we talked about that a little of of the impressment, but the donkey is this element of humility. It's not a war horse. Um, Typically, you know, when a king came in to take over, which is what the Jews were expecting the Messiah to do, was to come in and declare this earthly kingdom and kick out the Romans and do all this. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus came in riding humbly on the back of a donkey. So that was one. And if you look at um, the reference to 1 Kings and 133, where Solomon comes in riding on a donkey, that was David said, go and get my donkey and and bring him into um, town and then declare him the king. Um, Another thing was the cloaks. And that comes from Kings as well, where Jehu Um, was declared king. They took off their cloaks and spread them around and declared Jehu the king. And both of these, um, either the palm branches or the cloaks, it's kind of the equivalent of us rolling out the red carpet. It's putting that out and saying, here here comes our king. Here comes our our Messiah. Um, And then um, 
And from Psalm 118.26, the common greeting during the Passover, I want to point out that blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. But in this account, they changed the word from one to king. So it says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, and, and all of this was happening at this, this time when they still expected the Messiah to come in riding a war horse to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem to declare um, the, the kingdom of Israel is present once again. And Jesus just does everything that's so opposite of what everybody expected him to do. Coming in humbly on the back of a donkey, um, even though there was this, this huge cacophony, all this stuff going on around him, um, he just comes in very in, in a posture of humility. Well, uh, you were you were referencing all these Old Testament figures, and we talked about it a little bit before we we got on the podcast. But you were quoting in the lesson you quote from First Kings chapter one, where mm-hmm. Solomon rides on the donkey, and I have often been fascinated by that story in First Kings one. By you know David is dying, and David's son Adonijah he tries to. He, he tries to have a, a bid for power and he tries to take hold of the throne. And so what happens is uh, Bathsheba and, the, and Nathan, the prophet, they go before mm-hmm. King David as he's dying and say, look what's happening. Adonijah's trying to be king. And David says, no, Solomon's going to be the king. And uh, I have often contemplated pe- preaching this passage for Palm Sunday because it is such a representation of, I think, what happens in our culture sometimes. Um, and you could do this. Like if you, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're wondering, Hey, what can I preach for Palm Sunday? You could probably do first Kings one, because there's three points here. Uh, there's the suffering King David, there's the self-appointed King Adonijah, and then there's the sovereignly appointed King Solomon. Uh, and so you've got your three points that sound the same, you know, for you preachers that do that. And it, it's just a fascinating story that points to who should be the rightful king. Well, who's the, who should be the rightful mm-hmm. king in our culture? Jesus. Well, mm-hmm. you've got all these people appointing themselves as king. You've got the rulers of the world setting themselves up against the divine uh, power of God. You know, that's Psalm 2. And then you've got people who, people who stand at the crossroads and say, are we going to follow the kings, the kings and kingdoms of this world? Or are we going to follow the, the king and the kingdom of heaven? I want to mm-hmm. comment. I think what your three points there, say those again for me. Um, the, the, king, the suffering king, suffering. the self-appointed king, Adonijah, and the sovereignly appointed king, Solomon. All right. So then what we talked a little bit before we got on today, but I think so the parallel there is you have the self-appointed king who is trying to um, as much as he can display images of power and glory or whatnot to to help promote himself. And then you have Solomon who is the um, how did the sovereign appointed sovereignly king sovereign. the sovereignly appointed king doesn't have to do that. He can come riding in on a donkey because he has the power of God behind him. And so then I think there's a parallel there in the sense of this is why Jesus doesn't have to come in like a Maccabean revolt. He has the power of God behind him. He can come riding in with the assurance that God's more powerful than any earthly force and the kingdom's established in his name. So that's Mm -hmm. part of something that you can um, 
quote there. The other thing that I know. And, oh, go ahead. And he's also going, and Jesus is also going to Jerusalem so he can be the suffering king. Yeah, well, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is the suffering king. He's suffering king. Yeah. I wouldn't say he's the self-appointed king, but he knew who he was, right? Yeah. So he's the suffering king. Right. He's the right. He, he's the suffering king. He's the appointed. He he is fighting against the self-appointed kings, and he's also the sovereignly appointed king. Yeah, that works. The other thing I noticed in here in the very last paragraph of that section, Becky, I do appreciate very much. Um, and Logan, you had kind of brought it up. We've already talked about it. It said the Pharisees, right above learning from the scripture on page twenty-seven, the Pharisees were so frustrated with the shouting, they told Jesus to silence his people. And I think like. Um, one of my elders from Margaret Hank, one time we had a combined service with some other churches. Anyway, somebody was getting rowdy and clapping or whatever. And he came to me, he's like, you know, their parents taught them better than that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and in one sense, I'm just temperamentally, I'm just a quiet person. And I don't like a lot of shows of emotion or whatnot. But then there are times where I can completely understand, like one of the, one of the greatest stories for me, and I try to remind myself of it when I get like that, is when David danced before the Lord with abandon. And, and uh, you know, when Micah, when Micah that calls him on it, that says, hey, you've shown yourself, um, you've shown your nakedness among all these girls. When the Remember when the ark was coming back into Jerusalem? But he says, you know, like, you know, I'm going to get even more indignified than this, right? And in some sense, David loses himself to the praise and worship of God. To where nothing, nothing else matters. Mm. I think that's a cool, that's a cool image though. Like when you lose yourself in worship, yeah. you're not concerned about what others might think or do or say or whatnot. And and then yeah. it's the church oftentimes that that say things like, "Well, you should, you were raised better than that." You're like, "Yeah, but this is Jesus I'm worshiping, so get and step off." Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Well, there's there's this story that's told that my I've heard my grandpa tell it, um, where this uh, this fiery free will Baptist preacher goes to hold a revival at the Southern Baptist Church, and he's there for a whole week doing doing the revival, and he's real loud and he's real fiery, and no one else there is really all that emotional, but they just kind of put up with it from him because he's the evangelist, you know. Um, well, it gets to the end of the week and the preacher's preaching and he gets done preaching and gives the invitation. And every time he every time he shouts or says hallelujah or amen, the piano player just kind of rolls her eyes or looks at him. Oh. Something. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the but the last night of revival, he preaches and gives the invitation and the altars are just filling up with people. And then all of a sudden, the he notices the piano player has stopped playing, and she's just over there crying and screaming and jumping up and down. And he and he says, "Well, sis, you really got something tonight." And she said, "You don't understand." She points to a man at the altar and says, "That's my husband of forty years. He has hated God all of his life." Wow! Wow! That's it. Like right when God does something amazing, what else is there but whatever praise you have? Like, yeah. yeah. So when Jesus says, like, if these people are silent, the rocks will crack, right? I mean, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you cannot contain praise when God is moving, right? You just can't do mm-hmm. it. It's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess if you do it enough, it'll harden your heart. And that's not a good thing. Uh, no. Heart becomes yeah. like a stone. Um, yes. You know, and that's something I think we, not to say that we lost out on that, because there is that 
that reverence, that reverential awe that we have, but there's also something to be said about just being excited before God, just being excited about what he's doing in our life every day and, and to worship him truly, just like, like you said, with David, with abandonment, just to dance and sing and praise God for who he really is. It's amazing. So I think what we just did there, I kind of went too far, maybe. So the discussion question on the next section was compare the scene painted above with how your congregation welcomes Jesus every week in worship. And I'm asking it now just because we're kind of on it, right? We've kind of maybe already said it, but, but just to, to expound, I mean, every congregation is going to have their temperaments, right? And every, Uh and so, um, one of the preachers here in Western Kentucky, Bud Russell, once noticed, he, he told me he's like a church that is always quiet. You can tell God is moved because they'll clap if something like mm-hmm. a special or something happens. You can, But then a church that's always, you know, frantic or loud or more expressive, when they're stuck in silence, you know God's moved too, right? So like, mm-hmm. um, so anyway, I wanted to throw that out there. I think it's right, but. Did y'all want to answer that question? I mean, in y'all's experience in your churches, how do you know, like, con- contrast this scene from yeah. that to that's, the church? That's a really good thought because it, it didn't occur to me until you just said that right now. The, the very first sermon I ever gave, <laughs> very first time in the pulpit, um, I was at Fredonia Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And I, I knew some of the people from Fredonia, but I had never worshipped with them. So I didn't know how they normally worshiped and I don't know, maybe they are kind of clappers and hallelujahs and amens. And I'm not sure. But when I got up to preach again, my first ever sermon, the entire time I preached, it was like, so silent. You could hear a pin drop, you know, oh my goodness, because I'm thinking in the back of my mind while I'm preaching this sermon, I'm like, I have really misunderstood what God (laughs) called me to, you know, that this is terrible. This is not working out well. You know, I was just really kind of panicking in the back of me going, oh, oh, this is awful. This is awful. But at the end of service, uh, Reese Baker invited me to the back of the sanctuary to uh, greet everybody as, as they left that day. And I had so many people just come up and say, oh, my goodness, you know, you were so captivating. Everybody was listening to every word you said. And I think uh, one of the greatest compliments was this one woman came up to me and she said, honey, she said, you were so spot on with what you were saying. Even our children were silenced because they were listening to every word you said. And so I thought, oh, silence is good. Okay. You know, maybe I haven't misunderstood, you know, but I mean, and maybe that's, maybe that is really true. Um, I think the temperaments of both of my congregations are pretty quiet. <laughs> yeah. And, and no? I think so. That's, I, I think that's true. What about you, Logan? What's your experience there? Well, I, I've got a, I've got a couple of stories. Uh, first one happened a few years ago. Um, I was at a camp meeting, me and like the way, the way camp meetings work in, in Pentecostal churches is like, if a church has a camp meeting, then they, you know, it, it's like a revival where you have nightly meetings. But in addition to that, they, they will invite people to bring their motor homes and campers and like camp around the church. Huh. And, um, oh, wow. 
Yeah. And uh, it's like a week long thing. And we had morning services and evening services. Wow. And really serious. Yeah. Like, oh, man, we had. So the way it worked at Bradshaw Mountain is we had services. We had morning services at 10 o'clock. They served you lunch. Then you went back for uh, then you went back for prayer meeting at five o'clock. And Bible study at six. And then the actual service for the evening started at seven. And then afterwards, wow. you afterwards they served you dinner. Um, well, there was yeah. one evening service where Kelsey Valines preached, and if you don't know who he is, it's okay. But he preached and um, preached a good message, and I don't, even, I don't even remember what he preached on. And he gave the altar call. People responded, and of course, it's typical Pentecostal service. We're all shouting, having a good time, praising God. But then there's just this point. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but it's like it's like everything just stopped and time froze. And there was dead silence and no one moved. Wow. And no, it's like everyone was it's like it was peaceful and no one wanted to say anything and no one wanted to leave. Wow. And we just and, and when I looked at my when I looked at my watch or my phone, it was like eleven forty five at night. That's what happens wow. when the presence of God comes in. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So, and then there was another then there's another instance that happened here recently. Um, every once in a while, when my grandpa goes and preaches somewhere on a Sunday night. Uh, me and my wife will go and hear him because I, I love hearing my grandpa preach. Um, and I, and I love going back to those Pentecostal churches. It make me, makes me feel like I'm home. Um, and, uh, we went to go to this church where he was supposed to preach when they turned the service over to him. He invited me and my wife to come up and sing, and he wanted me to testify, you know, which is, which is Pentecostal code for test to preach. Right. Test to preach. <laughs> Yeah. So I didn't, I wasn't really going to say much, but I just got up there and, and was talking a little bit. And next thing I know, I just, it's like someone poured hot oil down my back and I just started, I just started preaching. I was preaching basically what I'd preached that morning at Mars Hill, but I was doing it louder and I was just pounding the pulpit, jumping up and down, yelling, (laughs) <laughs> and and uh what and I was just like in that mode and I was wow. I don't know how long I did that probably a good 20 to 30 minutes I just couldn't stop wow and they were and it was just like bam it hit me all at once and I was all of a sudden I was 16 again preaching at my grandpa's church awesome. <laughs> so yeah like that's the thing so I, I think what we're getting at on this there's a wisdom in the church calendar in the sense that we have high holy days and then we have, you know, holy weeks and then we have ordinary mm-hmm. seasons too, right? Like Palm Sunday didn't happen every day either, right? Like, so there are times in right. which there's, and I, I don't want to say it in the sense that everything's ordinary. Nothing's ordinary with God. Everything's extraordinary. But at the same time, there's a religious fervor that just you naturally ebb and flow a little bit. Just, and mm-hmm. so it's not like you, it's not like our churches have to be keyed up all the time, but our churches do have to welcome Christ every time. 
and right. celebrate that Christ is around, right? Like, and then God might have this mountaintop moment every once in a while in service. Maybe even just a lower than low. You might go to church just in a repentant state and you're low, but expect to meet God and yes, and ha- have God be worshiped, I think is. Yes. Is, yeah. Is good there. So it's okay for you to shout and say amen once in a while. I do every once in a while. Like, I don't want to go too crazy, but I do. On occasion. It's like, well, my church, they don't do amens. They do grunts. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's when I know I get a home run when I hear it. Mm. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, all right. Well, uh, we've good. kind of already, we've gone through it, but Becky, I want to give you a chance that learning from yeah. the scripture, I think we've kind of talked, but go ahead and make sure that we get exactly what you're wanting us to get out of that section. Okay. So you have to paint this picture in your mind um, because if you just read through it, you, you miss the entire point of this triumphal entry. So you have to imagine 200,000 ish people all coming into the city uh, maybe you're at a marketplace or whatever, but you, you hear, you know, as, as what you said, John said that it was, that the city was in, in torment. Okay. So there's, there's this guy that you see coming down the hillside, riding a donkey. There's this huge crowd of people that are putting down palm branches and laying down cloaks and they're all screaming and shouting and yelling Hosanna and bless be the Lord that comes um, and you just have this huge, huge moment. And, and yet when we read the scripture, this amazing moment, this, this cascading cacophony of people, um, what we read is that Jesus gets to the city and then he weeps, he weeps over the city. Um, you know, and that's, that in and of itself is beautiful because it's, you have this moment of just this amazing element of this entering to Jerusalem and you have the one that's coming in crying, weeping over, weeping over the city. So you have to paint that picture in your mind when you talk about the triumphal entry, don't just gloss over it and read it, but really think about what was happening because it's important to understand the postures of the people versus the posture of Christ at that moment. Yeah. Um, Logan, you got something there? Anything you want to bring? I thought I did, but I don't. <laughs> I, I will bring up, up something. I, so when I was, Holy Week is a fun week for me in the sense of I'm a liturgist. I mean, like I love prayers and I love liturgies. I love these kinds of things. And and I love rich, even though I don't say amen a lot, I love rich expressions of worship, especially mm-hmm. by word or by song or whatnot. And um, one of the things that, I remember being struck by as I was preparing for some Holy Week, Monday, Thursday, something, whatever. And I'm not preparing. A lot of times people will write my name as Christ. I am not Christ. I am Chris. But I I remember reading a story one time. Not a story. I remember reading the, that gospel lesson where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. And, I, and I've always been captivated by that because this is a person who knows everything, who, who is looking over a city that he deeply loves. And not just the cityscape, but the people within it. And he know, and at the same time, he knows he's about to be lifted up on the cross. And so, 
you know, the Garden of Gethsemane or in, in John 12 passage, we're like, but what, you know, when he says, what shall I say, Father, take this cup away from me. This is not a person who's just stoic. This is a person who is, has a deep love for these people that he knows he's about to die. And I think I imagine all that. And I think this is the task we have. We almost have as preachers and teachers. We go to the church and people around the city may come to, but we weep because we love our communities and we love people. We also know there are people who are not going to repent. Right. And we know that yeah. it costs us something. It should cost us something to be ministers or to be gospel preachers or, or teachers. It costs us these things. And, and it's like, um, I guess I say all that to say, I just appreciate Jesus's role. He just loves mm -hmm. and he sacrifices. Yeah. And he's sad for those who won't accept an invitation to, to be in communion, you know, to communion with him. And I think we have that role as the church. Maybe. I hope that's our attitude is we weep over the bad things. And our, and our disappointment is that people will not connect with Christ. Um, that was my version of getting fired up. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but it is. But it is. I mean, you bring it up in here. And so, like, you, so in that first full paragraph on page 28, if you're part of the crowd, you write, for weeks you've heard so much about him from friends, families, and strangers. Some have said he's the Messiah. Some have said the Messiah has finally come. Some think he's a great prophet. Some are unsure. Is he a fraud or is he for real? Like as a church, you know, maybe this Sunday and Easter, you're going to have people from your community that never show up to church. They're going to have those same questions. And you're going to be yeah. preaching this message of Jesus Christ to them. And, and some of them will accept it and you can rejoice. And some of them are going to go away, sad, you know, go away without engaging. And, and that yeah. would probably break your heart. Um, so anyway, that's where I'm at there. Mm -hmm. That's really good. You know, because yeah. that's, that's so true. I think as, um, as somebody who follows Christ and as, as a minister, you know, I, I sometimes have a hard time understanding why people can't accept Jesus. Mm -hmm. Why can't you see, why can't you understand? And it, and it does, it, it truly does break my heart to just know that, you're walking away from me, a lost person. And that, that, that hurts. And not being, and not actualizing your humanity, the beautiful creation image of God that you are it, mm -hmm. and being satisfied. That's the hurtful part, being satisfied for yeah. not having the true thing. Well, I think people have a problem with, I think people have a problem when they read the Bible because they, they read the Bible and then they, go out and live in the world in which they live. And mm -hmm. they think the Bible was written in a completely different world from them. Yeah. And there's a sense culturally in which it was, but it, it's, you know, all these events took place on the same earth. Right. Right. And so mm -hmm. people haven't changed all that much. And now, <laughs> and, and I think the way, <laughs> the way Jordan Peterson frames it, even though he's, he's not a Christian yet, he'll get there. He's, he's going to mess around and get saved. Um, but even though Jordan Peterson's not a Christian yet, the way he frames it is that is that people live in the in the actual world, right? But then whenever you read the Bible, you're reading you're reading about God in the narrative world. And people don't believe that the actual world and the narrative world can overlap. But but the truth is 
and, and Peterson even admits this, like I said, he's getting there. He says that in Jesus, the actual world and the narrative world meet. And so he's, he live, he's a person in the actual world. He interacts with actual people. He, and all the, his actions and his words are recorded in history. And, and yet he does things like heal blinded eyes and open deaf mm -hmm. ears and he mm -hmm. dies and then he resurrects and that's that's narrative but it's also actual and right. so it's whenever you understand that though it's scary because it crushes your previous perceptions of who jesus is or was and now you understand oh this is all true which means the rest of this is true and then you realize, and that means I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then you realize, okay, well, if I believe this, if this is what's true, then maybe I'm not in trouble. Maybe I'm right where I need to be. And so what, what our job is to simply teach what's in the Bible and then let God through our preaching open people's eyes so that they can see that Jesus is the place where the actual and the narrative interact and, and wrap up with one another. Yeah. And I wanted to, I'll jump in on that in this sense, like taking it from a human point of view, people died. People were sad. People were scared. People always needed resources. People like that hasn't changed throughout time. Yeah. Right. And, and God knows this. Like, doesn't matter if it was 2,000 years ago or yesterday. There are people in deep need. And Christ came to fill not just a physical need or whatnot, but to the need of of being healed from those mm -hmm. sins and, and other things that have so broken them apart. Like, I mean, yes, we're a different culture in some sense, but we're still hurting and we still do wrong things and we're still disconnected from God. And, and so it's it's not as far as you might think. Right. And when people right. hear, hear the message that we have to offer, um, they think, well, people don't rise from the dead. Yeah, that's kind of what makes this significant. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, they're people. Same, same fears. I mean, you know, there's moms and dads that want to make sure yeah. the kids are taken care of. And, you know, and we worry about those same things, too. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So that's that's pretty important. Um, absolutely that's good stuff there um let's go on to the applying the scripture part uh, becky tell us what you wanted there and then i want to highlight that discussion as discussion question as well just a little bit yeah. i want to get in the weeds on it but i do want to bring it up right so here it is palm sunday it's the triumphal entry and and where are we at intentionally not just, oh, I'm here Sunday morning, woohoo, let's wave some palm branches and move on. But intentionally, where are we at with, with Jesus as our king? Where are we at with him as our Messiah? How do we recognize him? Not just his triumphal entry then, but how is he triumphantly entered into our lives? And how have we submitted to his kingship? Um, those are questions that we need to ask ourselves and to, I think Palm Sunday is a great time. We should think about it more often, but really Palm Sunday intentionally thinking about 
how Jesus is is king over us. Logan, you got something there? uh, Let me read the discussion question. What's the difference between accepting Jesus as your savior and making him your Lord? What does it mean that Jesus is the Lord of your life? Well, we kind of we kind of have created this unbiblical dichotomy. We have said that, you know, sometimes there are people who accept Jesus as their savior, but then they reject him as their Lord. And we, we call those people, um, oh, there's a term for it. I can't even think of the name for it now. Like it's not cold Christian, uh, fleshly, fleshy Christians or something like that. Mm. Uh, but they live in the flesh, right? Uh, carnal Christians. That's what I was carnal. thinking of. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Uh, carnal Christians. And so we think that car- a carnal Christian is someone who has prayed the prayer, so to speak. And uh, they've, ex- they've, they've done the ABCs. They've admitted they're a sinner. They believed in Jesus. They've confessed their sins. But they still live any way they want to. And we believe that those people are still saved, but they just fit under the classification of carnal Christian. Well, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. You're either a Christian or you're not, and you either bear fruit or you don't. It's that simple. Um, But we've created this, this concept of carnal Christianity to, to really let ourselves off the hook of discipleship. So there's, so you read the Bible the Bible expects that if you're a believer, you're going to live and act in certain ways. And if you're not a believer, then you're not going to do those things. You don't have any motivation to do those things. Well, if you go to church and you do the ABCs, pray the sinner's prayer, and you don't have a desire to change the way you live, then there's something wrong. Something didn't take. The wires didn't connect. Right. And yeah, but, but for some reason, we don't teach that. We don't preach that. We just say, well, they're a carnal Christian right. or they've just, they've just grown cold in the Lord. So, no, yeah, I, I think they're and and not to say that somebody's going to be perfected, but right, no. there's an intention. Like we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, like David was not very good sometimes, but he had this just deep intention of following hard after God and right. there were setbacks, but you can tell by an attitude, whether Jesus is Lord or whether he's a, you know, kind of a date. <laughs> right. So Jesus is either your Lord or he's your, or he's your prom date girlfriend. There you right. go. And, and we got enough Hillsong songs that reflect that. So that curmudgeon. Yeah. Curmudgeon is the title that I'm Logan but, curmudgeon Dixon. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> but no, you're right, though. Um, now, here's the thing. If you're a lectionary preacher, if, if you've looked at the lectionary, you'll notice that all the epistle readings from Easter to Pentecost are basically walking through First John. Well, whenever you preach First John, you've got to deal with texts that say things like the one who is of God does not sin. Well, how do you figure that? How do you work that? Because we know David was a God and he sinned. And it there are would. lots of, <laughs> right. And, and, and of course, what, whenever you get into the Greek and you study what that means, what John is talking about is habitual, open and unrepentant sin, yeah. which is what 
people do whenever they've not really repented, whenever the wires mm-hmm. haven't connected. So what do people need to do to be saved? Well, go back to the biblical New Testament formula of salvation. Acts 2.38-239. Peter gets up, he preaches the gospel, the spirit is poured out, and they and people are cut to the heart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're not... And I think that's where the process starts there. That's the problem. Nobody's cut to the heart. We just kind of want to we just kind of want to respond and get our name in the book. So we have fire insurance. They were actually Mm -hmm. cut to the heart and they said, what do we need to do to be saved? And what was Peter's response? Repent every one of you and Mm -hmm. be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy spirit. That's the Mm -hmm. formula. It's always been the formula. It always will be the formula. And we're the ones who go around and try to change it up because people don't like it or it's too hard. There we go. I'm about 230. That's the big, um, yeah. I mean, that that's true. Becky, did you want to? Yeah. Now I think Logan really hit that on the head. It's, it's this continual repentance and it's not something that we, we repent and we believe and we have the baptism, but then it's this constant examination. You're not going to get it perfect overnight. I think you said that Chris, that it's, that's a really good point and, and something for people like me and my mindset and mentality is you're not going to get it perfect overnight. It is a life long process. Yeah. And it's you'll never get it perfect for a reason. Right. No, yeah. you're never going to get it perfect, but to keep striving, to keep trying, to keep learning that God keeps pouring into you and, and just showing you things about you that yeah. maybe five years ago, you didn't think was such a bad thing, but God may be telling you today, oh, okay, now that we've got you this far in your walk, this thing might need to change a little bit, you know, and okay. it's, it's this constant perpetual renewal and, and relationship growing and just understanding and, and just keep walking, just keep walking. Well, and I think we confuse justification with repentance yeah. because we think, yeah. yeah, because, because if you want to get to like Peter's message of salvation is, is Acts 2, 38, 39. We mentioned that. Well, that's, that's the offering right? That's the off-ramp. Well, what are the mechanic? what are the stages and the mechanics of salvation? Well, that's where Paul gets into in Romans chapter 8, 38, 39, uh, where he, he starts with, he starts with foreknowledge. So notice that most of the, most of the steps of salvation that Paul goes through in that, in that five link chain of redemption, those aren't things that you do. They're all things God does. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. He starts off with God's foreknowledge, God setting his love on you. Then it's predestined. Those whom God foreknew, he did predestine. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. Now, that's a five-link chain of redemption, but, but from start to finish in salvation, we're living in the last two links. Right. So throughout the last two from justification to glorification god's going to carry you through salvation's all of god but in the meantime but in the meantime we live a life of repentance we're always evaluating our walk with god we're always evaluating our thoughts motives and actions because it's not that we're trying to earn salvation it's not that we're trying to earn glorification but we're in relationship with god and we want to be happy we want to make god happy that's what I wanted and, to make sure we didn't miss. It is in the relationship with God. 
So we say the negative things in the sense of do not do or refrain from sin. But then in a relationship, if that's all you do with your spouse, you're not going to enjoy your you're not going to enjoy your marriage. The flip okay. side is also the positive things in which we we have joy and we our desires are in God. Right. So it's not that we're mm-hmm. just refraining, but we're also learning to to desire the things God desires for the sake that it makes God happy. And God right. gives us good desires because it makes us fully human. Anyway. Right. So it, you, you brought up living with your wife. If you're, if you, if you're married and you treated, you treated your spouse the way you treat God, you wouldn't have a relationship. Probably it would be a little rockier than it needed to be. <laughs> yeah. So here's, yeah. So here's the way it works. There's one of two ditches we fall into. We fall into, we fall into the ditch of, you know, easy believism. You can have Jesus as your, as your savior, but not your Lord. And so let's say you treated your wife that way. How would that look? Well, I've already got the wedding ring, so I don't got to do nothing to help this marriage. She's mine and she ain't leaving. Or for instance, your wife stops going to sporting events after you're married. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) So keep going. Sorry. <laughs> right. So you so your mindset is, well, I've got the ring. I've got a ring on my right. finger. She's got a ring on her finger. She's not going anywhere. So I don't have to try hard and do nothing. Right. That's one ditch. Well, the other ditch is the other ditch is waking up every day and saying, oh, will you forgive me, babe? Babe, I'm trying so hard. I just want to make this work. And, and I just want you to be my wife. And she's sitting there going, I am your wife. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yeah. Like I'm, I married you. I'm not going anywhere. And I think that's the way we, we do with, with, with God. We either get into license as in we have a license to sin, live any way we want to, because, well, we're saved. I'm not going to hell. I got fire insurance or we're just struggling so hard to earn our place in heaven. Right. Because we, we feel like it's all on us. And it's, it's hard, man. And you don't need to fall into either one of those two ditches because you'll, mm-hmm. you'll wreck yourself mm-hmm. either way. Yeah. That is a good discussion. Mm-hmm. That was a, that was a good discussion. I think we can end on that discussion actually, because that's a good discussion. I will give you all parting shots. Um, any, anything you want to add there, Becky on, on this lesson? Celebrate just celebrate really really think about the scene that we're painting today and celebrate and worship who god truly is that's good that's good logan you got a parting shot yeah uh go love god love your neighbor uh rest in rest in jesus's grace all right all right that was a good lesson. That was a good written lesson. I think we just had a really good discussion that uh, hits up on some good, good stuff. So thank y'all both for your time. Our April, who we got one more week of, or next week's you, isn't it, Logan? Uh, maybe. Yes. April yes, it 4th. Is yeah. Yeah. All right. So we'll be, this, yeah. The next time we get together, it's Easter. Yep. Yay. I got the easy lesson. Yeah. Jesus rose. Why do you have to have 2,900 words for Jesus Rose? I don't understand. <laughs> I got you. Um, 
Well, bless y'all. Thank you for your work. And for all of you who are listening, thank you very much. And, and again, if you want to get in touch with us, you can um, encounter at cumberland.org. If you have a question you want to ask, or if there's anything you want to comment on, um, you can also email me at C Fleming. That's F L E M I N G C Fleming at cumberland.org. And I'd love to interact with you, but thank you all for everything you do. Have a good day.